This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Hello, welcome back to the Celtics Lab podcast. I'm your host, Cameron Tepitabai. Joined, as I always am, by Alex Goldberg and Dr. Justin Quinn. Today, we're bringing on an old friend to help us talk through the minutia of what's going on with the Players Union, COVID mandates, and everything in between. So we've brought on Jeremy Duru, professor of law at American University, author of books such as Sports Law and Regulation, Cases and Materials, The Business of Sports Agents, and Advancing the Ball, Race Reformation, and the Quest for Equal Coaching Opportunity in the NFL. Let's welcome in... Jeremy Duro, how are you? I'm uh, pretty good. You know, I work inside the Beltway, but I live in the suburbs, so I have both the inside and outside perspective, I guess. But, but no, things are going pretty well down here. I appreciate it. How y'all doing? Everybody good? Yeah, Alex was just in your neck of the woods playing a show. Yeah, that's true. I was down in D.C. just a moment ago. It's a great town. I uh, had a lot of fun. Watched the uh, now surging Boston Red Sox put the works on the Nats. <laughs> so that was a fun time. <laughs> Alex. I'm down here in uh sorry I'm down here in Mexico trying to make sense of what you guys are talking about because I don't follow baseball so I'm just like this must be baseball related because it seems to be sports but I don't oh, understand yeah. it <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah it's a game you got Justin there's a, a guy with a bat and he hits the three bases go around so I think I've seen it okay all right uh Alex before we jump in I believe you have something to plug um, I have, yeah. So I do have some things to plug. Um, if you like the music that you heard at the top, that music is by my band, Divine Sweater. It's a good band. Uh, and we've got a bunch of things coming your way. Most notably, we have two shows in the next, I guess it's seven days. Uh, we've got one at Bill's Bar, uh, Lansdowne Street. That's this Friday. And that's going to be really fun. And then uh, we are opening for an incredibly great band out of Brooklyn called Habibi at Brighton Music Hall on Monday night next week. Uh, that show is going to be absolutely electric. We would love to see you there. Uh, if you are interested in listening to the podcast and live in the Boston area, you can go to my Twitter profile or Instagram profile, designer underscore smarf on Twitter, Broberg, B-R-O-B-E-R-G-4 on Instagram. Uh, there are links to buy tickets everywhere. Please buy a ticket, come out and have a good time. Uh, we're going to put on a great for sh- great show for you. And Habibi is a can't miss level band that you really do need to come see. So that's my plug. Cool. Alex, what, what instrument do you play? Are you a, a vocalist or what? Bass guitar. Bass guitar. Lovely. Very cool instrument. He's got the voice for it. I think he could do a uh... He could serenade the crowd with his voice, but the bass, to, the bass works fine. <laughs> limited to backup vocals for now, but we'll see. <laughs> All right. Well, Jeremy, we certainly did not bring you on to hear about Alex's band, although I do, I do recommend Divine Sweater. Uh, we brought you on because we're going to hop right into the Celtics lab and really discuss what is a really complicated 
situation. Um, last week, we talked about how sports is kind of like American public life under a microscope. And so where unions and labor are interacting with the organization, interacting with local laws, really comes into play with this COVID stuff, the vaccine mandates, local mandates, et cetera, et cetera. So hopefully, um, Dr. D, you can talk us through this stuff. So let's start right at the top. The MBPA uh, is, is maybe surprising some people because they have stuck, stuck up for players who chose to not get vaccinated. Um, Jalen Brown, for example, has been really using the line, it's a personal choice when asked about this. So why do you think the MBPA is taking this line and what do you think of that perspective more broadly? Sure. Um, so I don't know how surprising it is as I think about it. I think there are a couple of things in play. One is that, yeah, you, as you pointed out, Cam, there in, in introduce, introducing this conversation, you know, sports exists, sports in America exists within the context of America. And so we see the same sort of things in sports as we see in other industries. And that goes for labor and management interactions. And so, you know, I mean, there, there, is, there is an important uh, tension that exists between management and labor that has over the years allowed for the progress that employees um, have been able to earn and enjoy. You know, we're talking about the 40 hour work week, et cetera. Um, and so th- there's a push and pull that always exists. So I think a part of it, Cam, is maybe a little mm-hmm. bit cynical, but I think a part of it um, is that if management wants something, um, then the Players Association um, has to push back against it a little bit. Um, mm-hmm. That's a piece of it. Um, I think another piece and bigger piece of it is that I think that there are a disproportionate number of marquee players among those who um, are not interested in getting vaccinated or who were mum on the topic for months and then maybe sure. finally, you know, eventually came around. Um, I think it's conceivable that if you had the proportion of players who aren't getting vaccinated and the majority of those players were guys who were just kind of hanging on to the bottom rung at the end of the bench, we might have had a different approach from the PA, to be honest. Uh, Jeremy, thanks for saying that. And I, I just wonder as a kind of quick follow-up to what you just said, in general, you know, kind of taking it outside of the uh, kind of COVID situation specifically, in your experience, um, how, much pl- how much power can even a select group, just a small group of marquee players wield when it comes to things like CBA negotiations and general operations of the players union, just in your experience kind of uh, with them in the past, you know, I think that might help to kind of clarify why this is such a thorny issue for some of our listeners. Sure. So in short, Alex, extraordinary power. <laughs> I've seen in the NBA context, I've seen in the NFL context, just a few marquee players can really turn the tide of the conversation. Um, and, you know, it's not, Terribly surprising, you know, you've got market players who tend to be also um, the most highly compensated players and the most economically secure players. And it's less likely that you're going to have somebody who's none of those things standing up against somebody who's all those things. The person who's none of those things is trying to get all of those things and the opportunity they'll have is by keeping their head down a little bit. Um, so it's not rare and, and, and consequently, I think, not too surprising in this context. Although perhaps disappointing because, you know, there is the, um, you know, the tyranny of the minority concern that exists. 
Let me ask you a kind of a different question that is, is much, much more speculation, uh, which is that reportedly the idea of a mandate uh, was a non-starter, not just for the NBA PA, but for the refs, for some of the people in the front office. And then unfortunately all across American public life, whether it's police unions and uh, other kind of big entities, work entities, just your two cents. Why do you think that the mandate has been such a uh, non-starter for so many people? <sighs> yeah, you know, that's a tough question. I think, I think a part of it, I think a part, so I think there are a couple of pieces. I think one piece, I think, you know, that kind of smaller, more um, acute piece is that because we're dealing with this pandemic that has been unpredictable and incorrectly, uh, you know, prognosticated and all sorts of things, just because it's new, nobody knew what it was and couldn't figure it out. I mean, I still remember the day when I heard the then Surgeon General um, say with tremendous emphasis, don't wear masks, they don't help, mm-hmm. right? And of course, it's early on in the science and we came to know that you should wear a mask and the Surgeon General came around to saying that and we now know you really have to wear masks if you want to protect yourself and protect um, others. But things just developed uh, in ways that I think make people concerned and hesitant and worried that the next shoe will drop in the other direction. Um, and then I'm going to f- find myself having done something that I shouldn't have done. Um, that's a part of it. Um, I think a part of it is that uh, we, this is a country that some people are happy about it and some people are <laughs> unhappy about it, but it's, you know, I think this country prides itself on individual ruggedness. You know, it's right. always been that way, the frontier and all this sort of stuff. And so um, I think in, in societies where there's a much more, uh, a communal sentiment. I think you've got a different perspective. And then the third thing I think is all the psychologists tell us that when people have um, taken to a position, particularly in public, it is really hard to push them off of it. Right. If they hadn't taken that position in the first place, there's an argument that may have pushed them one way or the other. But once they've taken that position, that same argument is unlikely to be enough to push them um, to push them off the position. So I think all these three things combine um, and conspire to put us in the position we are nationally, but also, you know, in the association. Yeah, I I actually taught AP Psych last year, and it was helpful to have these examples of like, what is cognitive dissonance? Like, why do people's goalposts and logical arguments bend so much to to come to the same conclusions. Yeah. I think it's interesting and, and leads me to kind of our next question, which is, you know, a lot of the, the conversation now is, well, I don't like to be told that I have to do it. It's not fair that this is a mandate. But sort of to your point, not just the, the NBA, but the, the country started with, remember in May, Dr. Biden took off her mask and said, it's great, take off your masks, make sure you get vaccinated. Mm-hmm. The carrot was there. It was, let's go get vaccinated. Yeah. We got this. And the carrot wasn't good enough. Uh, in the past, in the NBA context, the vaccination rate was closer to 80%. And with mandates and city mandates and things like that, now the league is trending towards 96%. So uh, first, I just I do think there's revisionist history. I think your point is really salient that people really have an emotional reaction to getting vaccinated and are building logical arguments as they go. I suspect that's what's happening with Kyrie, for example. Let me ask you this, now that the league is working with mandates, not necessarily just carrots, but some sticks, do you think that this mandate policy is going to work on that final 4%, that holdout group, Dr. Duro, or do you think 
either they have to come up with a different solution or that there's just a small minority of players that aren't going to budge? I think there's a small minority of players who aren't going to budge. I think nothing will con- you know, will convince them. I mean, I don't know if you all saw the, um, half the coaching staff at Washington State University football team is gone. Mm-hmm. You know, they wouldn't, they wouldn't budge. It was made very clear to them for uh, weeks, I think months, that there was a deadline. They had to do it by then. The arguments were made. The time was given. The notice was provided. And they just couldn't, they just couldn't move. And I think a part of it, and I think this is the part that's unfortunate. Well, a lot of this is unfortunate, Cam, but in particular, there has been created or developed this narrative in some quarters that, you know, moving off that position and getting vaccinated is selling out. I mean, it is hardcore selling out. You are abandoning your people by doing this. You're leaving them. You're leaving your thought group. You're leaving them behind. You've gone to the other side. And as polarized as we are in this country, for some people going to the quote unquote other side is, you know, I mean, it's an unforgivable thing. And so I wouldn't be surprised if there are a small percentage of people in any organization or construct who just won't do it. They're just not going to do it. And the consequences will follow. I, I kind of feel like what we are starting to come around to as we have these conversations in the media and amongst ourselves is that you can't necessarily change everyone's minds and we just have to focus our attention on institutions and pushing things like mandates, good public health policy to protect the people who cannot get vaccinated and all the things we need to do um, while also making there to be some sort of an accountability in terms of you're welcome to not make this choice, but there will also be limits on what you are able to do in terms of public participation, workplace participation, and just leave it at that. I think that the ongoing demonization of people hasn't been helping. Uh, we know from a public health perspective, as you, as you suggested, that some people you're just not convinced, and particularly once they've taken some very vocal stances. And so I kind of, like, I have really reeled myself back in, as, as I've said before, about dealing with these incredibly vocal people who really, like, for a while, it was like getting punched in the stomach after some of the stuff that's happened in my own family. And it's, it's unavoidable to, to deal with that, that kind of a feeling. But at some point, you just have to come to terms with being right versus being effective. And I'm always going to think that my position is right. But ultimately, the thing that matters to me is, are we going to be effective? Yeah, that's great. Uh, that's great, uh, Justin. I mean, I think, um, and I agree 100%. Um, and then the thing that the problem is that there are, there are a few categories, I think, of people who, who aren't keen on, on the vaccine. You've got people who say it's a personal choice. Um, and, you know, my argument for a long time has been, yeah, it's a personal choice that impacts other persons, but making it not just a personal choice. Um, and that's my view. But, you know, you're, you're going to knock your head against the rocks if you keep saying that to your point, Justin. But there's another category of, of people who um, spread nonsense, who spread lies. And um, people who do that, I feel like you can't just let well enough alone because that's destructive. You know? and so, but the problem is, what do we do? You know, how, you know, what do you do with, with those people? I mean, you just, you know, you, you, arguing with them is not going to uh, 
do anything. And I am a believer in the freedom of speech. And um, so we get that, but you also can't yell um, fire in a crowded movie theater. Mm-hmm. And you know, what's the analogy to um, telling people not to get vaccinated because they're having micro- microchips implanted? <laughs> and I understand the fact that, you know, they, they're immunocompromised and they're old and if they get it, they're in big trouble. You know, is that is that yelling fire in a movie theater or not? And, you know, it may be. Yeah, I, th- I totally agree. And I think this loops back to a thought that is kind of related to both uh, kind of your broader questions about like when, what are the limits of freedom of speech in a global pandemic uh, where freedom is, where ha- what you say and the information you provide matters a great deal. You've got that. And then you've also got, um, a, you know, people who I think are related to what you said, which is this group of people that are just spreading misinformation. There is even within that group, a subgroup of people who themselves are vaccinated and are still spreading misinformation or uh, spreading, you know, this rhetoric of how personal choice should be prioritized, um, even if that's not something that they actually personally stick with in their own life. And the example that comes to mind for me most readily, I I don't know if you guys caught this, but on Twitter, um, and I I forget exactly what he said, but uh, the soon to be, I imagine, presumptive mayor of New York, assuming that he cleans up in his uh, election, which he is projected to win by a lot, Eric Adams was asked about the vaccine mandate policy in New York and specifically Kyrie Irving. Uh, and whether Kyrie Irving was going to play for the Brooklyn Nets. And Adams said something to the effect of, I'm confident that Kyrie Irving is going to play for the Brooklyn Nets this season. Implication of that statement being that Eric Adams might consider lifting the vaccine mandate as soon as he gets into office in New York. Now, I don't know Eric Adams. I don't know him personally, and I don't know anything particularly about him other than that he's going to win this mayoral election in all likelihood. But I would bet dollars to donuts that Eric Adams is fully vaccinated. Um, mm-hmm. But if he lifts this mandate, at which, you know, the implied statement is that he is maybe going to lift this vaccine mandate, that strikes me as a really dangerous manifestation of this idea of like, freedom of choice and nothing impeding this freedom of choice and that being prioritized over public health. Uh, And kind of, I I know that this is kind of trailing off in a little bit of a rant, but to just kind of loop this back to the NBA and the players union and the discussions that we're having there, you know, I think this, this rhetoric of there, there's the two extremes that we've laid out, right. Of, you know, the vaccine is good and you should take it and it should be mandated versus the vaccine is bad and you shouldn't take it and it's a personal freedom issue or you should be allowed to make that choice yourself. There's this kind of mushy gray area in between in this like, it's a personal choice. I happen to endorse taking the vaccine for myself, but it's a personal choice for everybody. This kind of awkward, mushy gray area where you're neither really endorsing or uh, rejecting vaccination entirely. And that is the stance that the players union has largely taken in this argument and in this space. And I just have a hard time seeing how in such a kind of 
many political issues in this country are nuanced and have a lot of gray area to them. This strikes me as one that is pretty black and white. And so to see not only the players union, but also like major political candidates and leaders all operating in this mushy gray area strikes me as a, cha a real challenge to ending this pandemic. I don't know. That was a long-winded rant, but if you have any further thoughts on that. Hey, no, I think there's a, I mean, I think every, in the state of the world, I think everybody's got a right to rant a little bit, Alex. Um, yeah, you know, I think, um, you know, that is a problem. And, you know, there's another category who aren't quite, you know, who, you know, there's a category of folks who are vaccinated and go further than saying it's a personal choice, but advocate against the vaccine. I mean, there, there, is, there is some real um, duplicity that goes on. I think that that, you know, that's just, that's just wildly and grossly unethical. Um, but the squishy area, I agree, it's problematic. Um, and generally it's motivated by politics. You know, a person believes something's best for them and perhaps for their family, but they don't want to be seen as telling anybody else what to do. Um, and I think, you know, I think we see that in political candidates, as you mentioned, certainly in the, um, you know, I think, you know, you know, just generally, we, you know, we've seen a lot of that. And I think you, you began, Alex, by talking about kind of the freedoms, um, you spoke of freedom of speech. You know, it's interesting because that, to me, the, the, the most apt analogy is, I don't know if you all have seen that commercials in the 70s or whenever it was, um, and, and, um, and interviews with drivers in the 70s, who, when people were just getting started with seatbelts, mm -hmm. Cars were maybe it was a sixty. You know, and and people interviewed. There's no way I'm ever going to wear a seatbelt. My, I, you know, it's my freedom. And it was they were making a liberty argument. They were making a liberty argument. I, I should be free not to wear uh, a seatbelt. And ultimately, we now know you drive an interstate, you see click it or ticket, right? And so we know now that you have to wear a seatbelt. Okay, in that context, not wearing a seatbelt outside of some crazy anomalous situation will only hurt you. It's only going to hurt the one not wearing a seatbelt. It's not going to hurt the other person that collision, the other person will have a seatbelt on. And here we're dealing with a situation where not wearing the analogous seatbelt or not getting a vaccine could hurt you and could also hurt others, you know, a lot. And so to where you began, Adam, like you said, you know, when we're thinking about freedoms in a um, pandemic context, we maybe have to think about them differently. Um, and I think that we do. And I think that history is going to look back on us. And I say us globally. Mm -hmm. Well, I say us Americanly, <laughs> globally in this country, <laughs> is going to look back on us with shock, with surprise. Why did it take them 10 years to start getting the vaccine? Because for all we know, 10 years from now, everybody will be getting the vaccine. You know, because COVID's sticking around. We all, you know, we all know that. Um, and I just think I just think we're not going to be judged well by history, guys. I feel like we have just done a dreadful job as a collective with this problem. And the consequence has been so many unnecessary deaths. No, I mean, you have, you have a bunch of history teachers on the call. I, I would love to, instead of being a basketball podcast, just stick to all of the legal precedent for vaccines, whether it's. George Washington and the Continental Army, or whether it's um, what is it, Mass, Mass, the, the the case from like the nineteen teens and Cambridge and Spanish flu, yeah, 
on and on. We're repeating history, basically. And the, the problem with these really severe pandemics is that so much time tends to pass between them, thank God, that we, we start to, or in this case, have completely lost the memory of how to deal with them effectively. And like you, we, we can dig up all these little anecdotal examples of how history is repeating itself. But to me, the thing, at least for the NBA, is why is it so controversial? Like, what is it with the union that has something that obviously creates a very pronounced competitive uh, disadvantage for teams like the Boston Celtics, for example? They, they were, mm-hmm. you know, they, they saw their, their, their entire season thrown in the toilet basically last year or last season because of um, the, the incidences of COVID. But now we are hearing this like coordinated language uh, from the people in like NBA uh, Players Association reps, like even Grant Williams, who did a public service, uh, like don't worry about the vaccine. Like he has completely changed his messaging from that to something like it's a personal choice. And I heard that and I'm like, what is going on here? Like, it just sounds like they've been replaced like Stepford Wife robot facsimiles <laughs> of themselves. I know that's not the case. I know that they must have gotten some kind of a memo, some kind of like a communication from from the the players' association. I'm just wondering if you have any idea on like what kind of like bargaining like position they might be looking at this as, like some kind of like a slippery slope for other kinds of mandates or health things or like what could be behind this? Yeah, it's hard to say. All I'll say, um, and I, I don't know. Um, but there is no question that, you know, that there is, you know, where there's smoke, there's fire, there's fire, you know, and there's, it's political and, you know, there is some benefit that is, that is sought here, you know, with the messaging. Yeah. I, you know, it's, you know, it's unfortunate. Um, I wanted, you made a point about history. I just want to say one thing really quickly, sure. which is, it strikes me out. It just made me think of something. It has been so long between pandemics. Everybody forgets how horrible it was and forgets, you know, what to do and what to think about. Uh, you, you, you all remember that horrific um, tsunami in Thailand mm-hmm. that was just so devastating. I remember reading an article about, you know, on one of the, you know, one of the, the islands there impacted. There was an old man who was viewed as a drunkard um, who saw the tide go out and the fish flopping in the sand. And was like, we have to go up. You know, we have to run. We have to go to higher ground. And everyone dismissed him. He was this old man who didn't, you know, didn't know anything. And, and um, you know, and he had the path forward. But, 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 but so much time had passed that people had forgotten. And those who remembered were dismissed. And I just, I think there's, some, there's something to be gained from that, um, you know, from, from um, from that thought here, which is we can't, yeah, a hundred years have passed. We've got to find a way such that a hundred years from now, they understand the trauma that we've dealt with and they can respond accordingly. God forbid if another pandemic does come in a hundred years. Yeah, I have two quick responses to that, Jeremy, that I really, I think that's such a great point. I think the first is that countries like South Korea and Vietnam and countries that had SARS outbreaks Mm -hmm. in the early 2000s, the scar tissue was fresh. And so part of their response being so coordinated was their never again mantra was tested 10 years down the line, not 100 years down the line. 
uh, I've said this so many times on this podcast, but it's just the way that I visualize it is that the equivalent Vietnam Memorial for COVID would at this point be, I think, 11 and a half or 12 times the size of the Vietnam Memorial. Mm-hmm. And if that is our way of never again, the National Mall isn't big enough. Um, I want to focus our scope back on the NBA, uh, still pretty broadly, but we'll get you out of here reasonably soon. First, uh, it's going to be, I'm going to give you two questions just so you know where I'm going with this. The first, I want to ask you about the NBA and the NBA PA's leadership last summer uh, in the wake of the George Floyd protests, in the wake of what felt like racial reckoning. I don't know how much actually changed, but the NBA and the NBA PA and the NBA players were so ready to lead, especially for an issue that disproportionately affected Brown and black Americans. Mm-hmm. And you could say that of COVID, right? So I want, I, I want to ask you about what you think of the league's stance and the league's benefactor stance here. But then later, I do want to ask you about what you think the role of um, players as role models is. So we'll get to that question after, but just so you know where I kind of want to go with that. Um, but first, yeah, can you compare and contrast the NBA, the NBA PA last summer and the leadership they showed and the leadership or lack thereof, perhaps they're showing in this moment? Sure. And I, and then and I know we're talking about the NBA, but we have to throw in the WNBA as well. Yeah, as, as absolutely. Leadership um, uh, union and league alike and players. Yeah. So I think here's what I think. And now I'm going to get cynical again. Maybe I hope it's not viewed that way. But, you know, when after the George Floyd murder and of course, you know, we're talking about that on the heels of Ahmaud Aubrey and Breonna Taylor and, and, you know, and it goes on and on. I think I think it was the rare person who was not on some level impacted by the horror of it and on some level touched by what at least appeared from folks who never thought about this before. Hey, maybe there really is some systemic discrimination here. Mm -hmm. And so there was substantial, not, you know, not um, entire, but substantial support um, for some sort of um, uh, uh, statement or movement or exploration. You had all these stories about black people receiving notes from white friends that hadn't talked to in a couple of years saying, Hey, you know, I'm sorry that I never engaged with you on this. I didn't know it was this way. You know, can we talk? How may I help? Oh, um, so I think it was a rare person who could go the other way there. Just, you know, some, you know, some folk, white supremacists and others would, but the rare person. Right. Okay. On this one, because of the way this pandemic was handled politically early on, um, I think it ended up being a, unfortunately, much more of a, um, of a divided question. So it wasn't that you are really, you know, back in you know, last summer, you're really, the idea was you're really an ogre if you're not recognizing that there's some problem here. But that's not the context now. The context now is um, that, um, you know, it's a personal choice. There are multiple sides to this issue. Um, and, and in that context, it's harder to, um, if we go back to politics, I mean, it's harder to um, go out and stand strong and say, this is the way that it's got to be because this is what's right. And so even if one thinks this is what's right, they're less likely to do it because they know they're not going to get the 85, 90, 95% support or whatever. 
I, I don't think you're being cynical. I think you're reading the room correctly. So let me, we'll get you out of here on this, uh, a related question. I, I think you kind of made the case for why the NBA PA has to be apolitical. Is that the situation, however, kind of as Alex alluded to, it feels black and white, but the, the reality on the ground is your constituents, and this is a business, might not see it that way. And so the union has to protect their people and the business has to protect uh, its consumer base. But on an individual level, I, just because you brought up history, I, I'm interested in what your thoughts are here. I know that uh, Elvis, way back when, got uh, his polio vaccine on TV, and it was a huge boost for young people to get the polio vaccine. And people have been showing clips of Muhammad Ali advocating for, uh, I, I guess I don't know what <laughs> vaccine off the top of my head, but we had really prominent cultural figures saying, hey, I'm going to get vaccinated. And I'm curious, just your thoughts personally on A, how valuable that would be in this moment with such a fractured media landscape, but then B, do players owe us that? Um, What is their responsibility for doing things like that? So for the first question, um, I think an enormous impact. Mm -hmm. And and I'll bring it back to players in a minute, but can you imagine, you know, if, you know, if Cardi B, let's say, to name somebody, goes and gets calls a press conference and gets vaccinated right then and there. I mean, it's just it's a game changer. You know, someone who's got that sort of following, it's a game changer. And so I think it would be the same thing with, um, you know, with uh, with players, whether they've got a responsibility. Um, you know, I if somebody refuses to get the vaccine. Um, I would desperately plead with them to get it. Mm-hmm. But I would not say, um, you know, you got to get it and you got to get it on TV. I mean, we, we know we're all familiar with professional athletes who got it, but we're reluctant to get it right. and they got it. So those folks, okay. But for those who got it and got it because they believe that that it would be right for them and for the community to get it. I would love them to, to go out and they've already gotten it, but go out and say, Hey, I got it. And, you know, I, you know, um, I'm, you know, I'm hosting this block party and we're going to vaccinate folks. Come on out. You can be like me. You can get vaccinated. Um, I would love to see it. You know, I think if you believe that it's the right thing to do and you did it for yourself, um, I think there's a responsibility to help others along, to help make the choice you made voluntarily and wanted to make. Um, so I guess that's that's where I am. If you did it and you felt it was the right thing to do, why not go out and say, you know what? Um, follow me, kids. Follow me, folks. Uh, let's get this done together. I think that that's a great note to end on. That's really hopeful. I I don't know that it would change Kyrie Irving's mind, but maybe more agreeable people would glean yeah. something from that. So. Uh, Jeremy Duro, you are a professor of law at American University. You are, at this point, a prolific author of all things sports and law and one of our favorite guests. So, Jeremy, thank you for stopping by. And maybe next time we'll have happier <laughs> fat to chew, but hey, we guys, really appreciate yeah. it. Hey, no, I love love being on with you guys, as always. Yeah, yeah, let's chew on happy fat next time. <laughs> that sounds so gross. <laughs> <laughs> it appealing. 
Get appealed. <laughs> Thanks, <laughs> Professor. Thanks again to Jeremy Dewar for stopping by. And like we just said, maybe next time he's here, we'll have something a little more uplifting to talk about. Speaking of uplifting, I suppose, we're going to hop in and do the news uh, because the Celtics season is just about to start and we thought it was going to be happy and we thought it was going to be easy. And then Jalen Brown got COVID and Al Horford is still out with COVID and Rob Williams' knees are no good. So, gentlemen, just from a health perspective, how are you feeling about the state of the Boston Celtics? Pleasantly anxious. (laughs) What else is new with this team, right? I feel like I, I have been like pretty invested in the Celtics basically since the big three era started. And I can't think of a single period of time since the big three era began with Pierce, Allen, and Garnett that the roster has been entirely and completely healthy for a prolonged stretch. So it's, it's irritating. It's so irritating. But unfortunately, it is just more of the same for the Seas. The good news Jalen Brown sounds like he is on track to play tomorrow's opener. Uh, there's pictures of him getting on the plane. Uh, I would have to imagine if he's getting on the plane to play in New York, that means that he is good to go. Um, Al Horford is probably out, which is a bummer, but it sounds like based on press conferences from yesterday that he's getting better. He's on the mend and he should be back relatively soon. So hopefully uh, the guys will not be having a COVID outbreak similar to the one that they had last year in November. Um, the Rob knee tendinitis definitely is a concern. Uh, Rob has been plagued by chronic knee issues for basically his whole career, and that's kind of the big cap on his potential. Um, but he sounds like he's on track to play. Uh, I think we'll ha- we'll just have to see how he's moving on the court uh, before we're able to make decisions on kind of where he's at. Um, And Schroeder, you know, obviously Schroeder was a pretty important free agent acquisition for the Seas this year. Um, And I think a lot of people, myself included, are expecting him to play a pretty significant part in their season. So for him to be already in kind of the injury zone right now is not great, Um, but we'll see, you know, hopefully it's just a thing that can kind of blow over and Seas can move on and stay relatively healthy, knock on wood. He looked pretty decent uh, in that last preseason game that he played. From what I understand, it was just uh, an abundance of caution thing, as as was supposedly the case with Rob, though obviously they're not going to be – well, maybe they will be. I don't know. We, we do seem to see a pretty different uh, tenor coming from Ime Udoka's team and transparency shall we say uh they do seem to be a lot more forthcoming talking about criticism so maybe we can expect a lot more honesty uh when it comes to dinged up players but i i am personally pretty optimistic you don't want to see any of this stuff but as far as you know injuries at the start of the season go unavailability all that kind of stuff it's about as minor as it could be We do also have to mention another injury that is not going to prevent the Celtic from playing, but Peyton Pritchard did break his nose and is going to be wearing a mask. Um, We'll see whether this is a hindrance to Peyton or what I think is likely uh, an accelerant to his ridiculous three-point shooting. I just have a feeling that that's a guy who plays better with the mask on. Yeah, and I I think we... It goes without saying that you should always mask your pee-pee. All right. Uh, speaking of accountability, 
let's talk about the Adoka regime because it seems like he is not messing around and that players are going to be uh, a little more under his thumb than maybe perhaps in the Brad Stevens era. Uh, of course, we're talking about the Marcus Smart uh, suspension from a few days ago, but also supposedly Grant Williams got benched for having words with the refs. So first impression on maybe a, a higher level of accountability with Udoka. What do we think? Definitely. You see it in the preseason. I mean, we'll have to see if it translates in, translates into the regular season, but everything that we've heard from camp suggests that Ime has left an impression on the seas, particularly Marcus and Jalen uh, who spoke about how that culture of accountability seems like it's much more present. Uh, you know, Marcus obviously is a leader now on this team. He's a seasoned veteran and the locker room looks to him. So for Ime to come in and hold him accountable for missing a flight uh, in a preseason game, I think speaks volumes about where the buck stops with the Celtics uh, for this season. Uh, Nothing is going to get past this guy, which I personally am thrilled about. And with regard to the refs, I just have to say, you know, one of the things that has bugged me the most about the Celtics for the past few years is the preponderance of their stars. And, you know, I think he's a great player and a borderline MVP candidate. But if Jason Tatum has one glaring issue in his game that I can think of, it's that he is almost constantly whining to the refs when he doesn't get a call to go his way. And Mm -hmm. it's both annoying and actively hurting his ability to be an impact defensive player on the floor. So I'm thrilled to see uh, that Ime is pushing the team to not take out their frustrations on the referees, play the game as it's going to be played. The refs are going to make bad calls. They almost always do, but uh, that's why the fans are back. That's why you have the fans in the building. The fans can scream at the refs all day. Let the players do their thing. Uh, just stay focused on the task at hand. And one last note on this, and then I'll, I'll move on. But, um, you know, one thing that kind of stood out to me is that Jalen Brown, uh, I, I forget when, it was a couple of weeks back, he said something to the effect of he is looking to have a more aggressive and feisty on-court persona this year, kind of getting up in people's faces. And I think that in a weird way, that's actually exactly why I'm so excited about the EMA regime. Because I think that the Celtics can be a kind of feisty, like snarly competitive team, much like their leader is Marcus Smart. But (laughs) where they have directed that energy in the past has been in the wrong places. It should be directed at your opponent. And I am looking forward to seeing Jalen get a little teed up for taunting people in the coming uh, weeks and months ahead. I appreciate that perspective. I think that there is a little bit of concern that if they don't respond to actually being coached hard well, this could become a problem pretty quickly. It doesn't seem like it's going to be, but it's definitely something I'm going to be keeping an eye on. I was looking up if the word feisty and the word fiesta have similar word origins. And uh, first of all, I don't know how to spell the word feisty, apparently. But uh, apparently it's from early English feist as in small dog. So uh, yeah, break up the small dog, Jalen. I like it. Uh, I actually, I'm going to ask something that's not on our rundown. um, Uh Because I'm not as interested in cutting Jabari Parker. 
we were told that the Celtics were going to name not one captain, but two. And that hasn't happened. Justin, I'll go to you. Maybe you've heard something. Why do you think that might be the case? Well, there was some commentary that that wasn't as much of a concern. There was going to be leadership by committee. So they may be moving off of that. I've also heard uh, that they would be voting on it. So maybe they haven't voted on it. Or maybe he's come around looking at things Bradway's. I'm not really sure what's going on with that at present. But it doesn't really help you if one of the presumptive favorites to land the job ends up getting himself suspended immediately out of the gate. So maybe he's just kind of trying to distance himself from that process at the moment. So that way, when he does name a captain, uh, he has something to point to that isn't bad. I suspect you're right about that. I mean, we talked about this last week that it was going to be the Jays or Al and Marcus. And maybe this means it was Al and Marcus. Uh, just quickly, a bunch of camp guys got cut or headed to Maine, except for uh, Matthews is headed to free agency. The... No, he's with Houston now. Um, and he oh, signed a two-way fast. deal. Uh, if anyone is confused why he signed a two-way deal, even though he rejected a two-way deal with Boston, it's because Houston is terrible. And there's mm-hmm. a very good chance that he could convert it to a regular roster spot with Houston. There is no chance he is getting converted to a regular roster spot, barring amazing play that probably is going to give a team this year. So it was just an executive decision by him that was, in my opinion, the right one, as much as it would have been nice to have a shooting. Well, speaking of two-way guys in Boston, someone who did take that opportunity is Broderick Thomas, uh, who most recently was playing with the Cavs. Quick impressions on him. I mean, Similarly, I don't know that he's going to be a huge part of the rotation, but... Really cool name. Uh, that's basically my main impression of Roderick Thomas. Besides, <laughs> besides that, uh, you could, I have seen pointed out on the Twitter sphere, think of this as a trade, not in real time, between Taco Fall and Roderick Thomas, because now the Cavs and the Celtics have each other's two-way player. Cool. I like that. I'm rooting for Taco. And uh, I guess the only other news that we should mention for all of that jibber-jabber is that the Celtics are going to maintain an open roster spot, right? Theoretically. Can you, uh, clearly, I don't know how this works. Can you explain what that looks like right now? Okay, so each team has, as most of you probably already know, but I'll say it anyway, 15 regular roster spots, two two-way roster spots. You have to keep, I believe, uh, 14 players rostered. You can dip below that very briefly to 13. Uh, you end up paying fees and, and stuff like that um, to, to the league's coffers if you don't keep it rostered uh, for financial reasons. Obviously, they want you, the NBA, P, the NBA PA wants you to have, you know, not be like skimping out on costs and not having any players. But you can, without penalty, have 14 players and not the 15th one, and that lets you save money while also kind of keeping it open for either absorbing a player in a trade, or if you're not going to do that, then you can just sign one outright if somebody becomes available overseas or whatever. And, mm-hmm. you know, you, you get to save money, which for a, a club like the Celtics who just cut Jabari, most likely for the same reasons, probably pretty useful. Thank you. Thank you. Um, just jumping in really quick, some breaking news related to stuff that we have just been talking about with regard to the injury report. Um, it has now been made official that Al Horford is out. He is not going to play tomorrow. Jalen Brown is listed as questionable. He has cleared COVID protocols. 
Um, but they, I think, are using an abundance of caution. So I imagine they're going to try and do one more negative COVID test before he's officially cleared to play. I want to get some practice in, too, just because he has not been doing any exercise for about a week. So he's going to be very winded. Hopefully that wrist is feeling okay. All right. Well, yeah, the next time that we chat, we will be in the thrust of the Celtics season. Uh, things tip off. Jeez, uh, I have no idea what the day of the week is. They tip off tomorrow in New York for the Boston Celtics. And for anyone lucky enough to go to the home opener, that's this coming Friday against Toronto. So the next time we are all together, barring some sort of like crazy breaking news, will be during the regular season. We finally did it. No more Bradley Beal. We'll probably have to keep talking about Ben Simmons and Kyrie, unfortunately, but we did it. We're back to regular season basketball. Amazing. I'm so ready, guys. I am foaming at the mouth, and we're in the middle of a Red Sox playoff run, so. I'm going to the game tomorrow. Lucky. We'll talk about it off air. All right. (laughs) Thanks, everyone, for listening. Like and subscribe if you haven't already, and for goodness sake, go to Alex's shows to find Sweater. Check it out. 